Captain Billy, a.k.a. Bill the Mez Mesnick, Rich Buckland, the Mez in California, Bucky in Florida. Bill, remember the nature boy Billy Graham? Which nature boy is this now? Ah, you see, I'm going out of your, now I'm going way out of your... Yeah, your, uh, my preparation only goes so far. <laughs> I don't have to. I don't have the, uh, here, the Rick- vast knowledge, the encyclopedic knowledge of a Rich Buckland. Are you familiar with the nature boy Ric Flair? Oh, don't go there. What, what do you mean, don't go there? They're inspired completely by a topic that we're going to discuss today. All right. A topic Expound. That, Expound. Well, why don't you, because you, I, I believe I was hearing in my head, in my dreams, a little serenade. Uh, of you singing the song that we're going to be talking about today. Um, A schweig mein Herz. <laughs> there was a boy, a very strange <laughs> enchanted boy. A very strange enchanted boy. <laughs> so here's a complex, here's a complex story about a songwriter who had. Uh, one of the most, who wrote, in some capacity, one of the most famous songs ever written, Nature Boy, a gentleman named George Alexander Aberly, known to his friends as Abu, or as he was introduced to me, Abu. I wasn't sure who they were talking about at the moment. I, I didn't even know until afterwards that that was Mr. Uh, he also was adopted and grew up under the name McGrew. McGrew, yes. This guy had a definite, definite, <laughs> he had some complications identity-wise. But uh, known as Eaton Abes, um, uh, he was born in 1908 and lived till 1995. And he probably would have lived longer except he was in a car accident. Yeah, what was he doing driving a car? I don't know. He was 86 years old, but this guy was very healthy because he lived the nature mensch uh, lifestyle, eating only raw fruits and vegetables. That's what they all say. <laughs> That's what they all say. So here's the interesting part. The interesting part is that, of course, the concept of this man who lived under the L on the Hollywood sign, under the Hollywood sign, 1948, takes a song that he has partially composed because uh, there was a court settlement years later where he settled out of court. Um, this song probably, the melody probably originated in the Yiddish theater, but the lyrics are his. Um, this was a gentleman who, yes, he lived on fruits, nuts with his wife, with his kids, um, and uh, allegedly lived on $3 a week. Has this song called Nature Boy, takes it to Nat King Cole's Valet. Nat King calls valet graciously. Otis Pollard. Yes, yes. And as I understand, also one of the great valets in the history of show business. Gives it to Mr. Uh, Cole, and Cole falls in love with the song, records it. And in 1948, this thing just skyrockets, takes off. And this gentleman, who by that time is known as Eden, calls himself Eden Abez, A-H-B-E-Z, a practitioner of... Now, Bill, you're into the mystical arts, so he is known for practicing what? Well, he was um, 
I would say, yeah, Eden Abes, who never uh, capitalized his name because he said uh, only God deserves capital letters. Um, he followed this philosophy called Lebensreform and Naturemensch, uh, and hence the name Nature Boy, although we're going to get into his buddy uh, Boots, Bootsin, who was also a nature boy. Bobby um, Bootsin. Bobby Bootsin. And, um, but they followed this philosophy, which was very um, ascetic, let's say. And um, the idea was to live as close to the earth as possible, hence why he slept under the stars in the, under the Hollywood sign. Um, in the 1930s, when he first arrived at L.A., he played at the Eutrophion Health Food Restaurant on Laurel Canyon. And that, you isn't, know, Isn't that where Howie Mandel hippies, started? What? Isn't that where Howie Mandel started? Could be. Yeah. All, all these health food uh, crazes of the 1960s were predated by this this movement, the the Nature Boy movement of the uh, early part of the century. And by the way, did you know that he split his royalties with the valet? I also know that he gave away most of his money, and that's why I was curious as to when you, you were talking about his per, his his uh, car accident. Um, I did not understand until investigating the later years that he owned any personal possessions whatsoever, which I found interesting that at the age of 86, he did succumb to capitalism to a certain degree because he was known for getting around by foot and it was one of his particular Jesus uh, augmentations that uh, Jesus... Yes, and he looked like Jesus. And he made a point of, of he made a very strong point of looking like uh, like Christ. I don't know if he was driving a car or whether he was crossing the street and got hit by a car. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure. My, yeah, I mean, it's it's really strangely inaccurate, the information pertaining to his death. And I was trying to find uh, death records, et cetera, et cetera, and I really couldn't come across anything that would indicate anything other than car accident, which generally in our culture means you were in a car, you had an accident, your head hits the windshield, and you get an embolism and you die. So I, I don't know. But what I do know is that um, he is credited because of his uh, lifestyle and the success of Nature Boy with uh, being this practitioner that would later flourish into as um, label... Um, record label owner Bob Keen told me into hippiedom. Bob Keen, who owned Delphi Records and was having a hell of a time with a young man named Richie Valens uh, and a record called La Bamba, found his fortunes changed in 1960 when Richie was killed in a uh, in that infamous plane crash with Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper. Of all the artists that Bob Keane could have signed after Richie Valens, his selection is Eden Hoppes. Initially, he said he signed him because, I, well, you know what, I'll listen to anybody who comes in my door. 
and uh, he liked the melodies, and although he was not an accomplished musician, they put together this record called Eden's Island. Right, um, which you say uh, falls under the genre of exotica, of exotica. music. And if you listen to the compositions of Martin Denny and, and some of those others, this, this was a this was a fad to to create these island type uh, oral landscapes um, that that had birds and all sorts of extra sounds accompanying. Eden's Island is the same. Yeah, what, what, what's interesting to me is then when, when you listen to uh, a version such as Miles Davis's version of Nature Boy, which for me, I think, captures more of the intent of the song than the majority of other versions. For example, Grace Slick and the Great Society, their version is is uh, very weak in administering what the song is, is truthfully about. Miles Davis and the very spirit of every tone that came out of his instrument helps. Well, it's haunting. Fo- it's a haunting song. It's and a haunting the song. The voice of Nat, Nat King Cole is so um, inspiring. And his his sensitive kind of leaning into the intent of the song is captivating beyond measure. I remember as a young child hearing the song and never forgetting it. And you said to me, why why this why did I pick this song? Well it's always been part of my DNA. Well, when you consider the fact that it arrived in 1948 years before you made it to number one 15 weeks now this song is is popular uh in 1948 it remains popular to this day so you as a young man years later are captivated by the song and the performance although cole recorded multiple times yeah he re-recorded it many times and i'm not sure which one i heard first because there are intonations in the very earliest recordings that he seems to work on gently as other recordings proceed. And I was listening to about five or six different versions yesterday evening, and it's interesting how he begins to play very gently with, the, uh, with how he articulates certain words. Yeah, it got simpler, I think. Yeah, it, I you think, know, yes. You'll hear those yes. early arrangements with the jazz guitar. Uh, it's it's a little more filigree there. And also um, when you're accustomed to singing the same song, it's one of those difficulties that Nat King Cole had, as with um, records like Lazy, Hazy, Crazy Days of Summer. Isn't that fascinating that the other big hit Nat King Cole is known for is that 60s almost novelty record with the uh, with the barrel house piano Roll out lazy, hazy, crazy days of those days of soda and pretzels and beer Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of 
Dust off the sun and moon and sing a song of cheer. Um, a far, far uh, spiritual fling from the origins of Nature Boy. But of course, Nat Cole's fortunes had changed by that particular time. And uh, Yes, he was a, you know, you had mentioned off uh, mic that um, you wanted to talk about um, his interesting complexities in terms of his personality and reputation. But I thought it was kind of interesting that when he sang Nature Boy on television, they requested that he lighten his skin. Well, that was to be expected. I mean, this was a very dark black man, and the expectation of him having gotten on television at all would have been highly unlikely if not for the charm that he emitted. But in those days, regardless of the amount of charm and the success of the song, it was going to be a short-lived uh, it was going to be a short-lived network experiment. And, and he, was, he was beloved by America, but at the same time, they were burning crosses on his lawn. Well, there was also in the issue of him being a Freemason, and Freemasonry is considered anti-Christian, anti-Catholic, and that participated in his uh, having had some difficulties in perception. He was also a Republican, and although he was married by Adam Clayton Powell of Burn Baby Burn fame, he still refused to engage in any stand on politics or the civil rights movement. Um, so it appears that he was definitively conservative. Um, but one of the more influential musicians, having recorded with Lester Young and Illinois Jaquette in the, in the early years, um, having been given in 1946 a radio program of his own for 15 minutes where he was able to uh, pretty much introduce some of this music. Take the highway, that's the best I get your kicks on Route 66 It winds from Chicago to introduced to in the fashion that It was this cross between lightening it, And there was some whitening But it was still a way to be able to bring The music of black artists to a radio audience yeah, he was one of the major figures in crossover uh, during that period. Once he accepted string arrangements that so many artists needed to do, um, uh, Route 66, I Love You for Sentimental Reasons, Frosty the Snowman, Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, 
Mona Lisa men have named you You're so like the lady with the mystic smile Orange colored sky, and of course, Mona Lisa. Too young. Mona Lisa, men have named you. So you look at these, you know, some of this, some of these songs are okay, his version of the Christmas song. Uh, Chestnuts roasting on an open file. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows In, uh, That was uh, what, Mel Torme's song? Going My Way, yeah. You know, one of, you know, there's a composition for the ages if you talk about, uh, you know, trying to define an American holiday and not get too uh, religious about it. Christmas song covers every single bass. Brilliantly, right, brilliantly written by Mel Torme. Uh, Cole's version was very, very successful. Uh, I think of Cole's version before I think of Nat King Cole's version. I'm telling you that his voice was like a, a saxophone. You know, it's like... Um, Stan Getz or yeah. something. I, I meant to say I, I thought of, um, I think of Cole's version before of Bing Crosby's version, although Bing Crosby got to sing Christmas song in Going My Way. Uh, had a much larger audience, of course. Well, he had White Christmas, and that was his big... That was his... Oppo hit. Yeah, yeah. So the, by a Jew. They were... <laughs> so we go back to this theme that... All of the Christ-like entities that have that have found their way into our popular culture actually were originally residents of the uh, Yiddish theater, and there were great right. melodies and there were great um, opportunities for all the great showbiz uh, <laughs> artists of the uh, the only ones who, who who didn't deviate were of course. The hardcore Jews like Eddie Cantor and Al Jolson, they were right. not about. Well, it, 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 you, you weren't supposed to be too Jewish, but you had to be Jewish enough. You, you know, the 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 people who ran the studio, the movie studios, and possibly the record companies too. Not sure about that, but um, they they had non-Jews playing the parts. But yet, the man who made the first talking picture, if we don't include Don Juan, uh, with its sound effects as being a talkie, uh, was encouraged to record his songs in Yiddish. Yes, yes. So there there are um, exceptions to the rule. Oh, mama. Because he did it so well, and because he had this cantoral style, and those recordings were very popular during um, the day. Uh, so that's why we uh, cite Herman Yablokov, who wrote "Shake Shake Mine Hearts." Uh, 
Shake uh, my nuts? Schweig mein heart. Oh, okay. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I thought you said shake my nuts. S-H-A-V-Y-G. Okay. Schweig. Now, this is the gentleman. What we're talking about is this is the original melody for Nature Boy. Yes. Right. And it was, uh, he got the 25 grand when he uh, settled out of court. Right. So, you know, I, I think, I think Abes, as you said before, he wasn't concerned with money. No, he was not concerned with money. Uh, Nature Boy, and allegedly, and once again, there's so much allegedly to be put in here because the lives that these people led were not documented as as average li- as normal lives are of celebrities of the era. We're talking about someone who lived outdoors, who's um, who was considered. You're having this movement of poetry, art, and drug experimentation on the East Coast. And on the West Coast, you're having this new experiment into health and this religious lifestyle. Although there talk, was, about, talk about your uh, encounter with Avi. Bob Keen, who owned Delphi Records, I did some business with back in 95, and he was still reissuing um, his catalog and I had begun one of the first uh, successful mail-order businesses with music that was not readily available in stores. And I had met Bob Keen, and Bob Keen had informed me, and after handing me a copy of Eden's Island, that this is the 95 reissue, and discussed the story of how Frankie Valley had been, uh, had Frankie Valley, how Frankie <laughs> A Richie Valens. They all they all come together at this. They age, all blend together. Yeah, big Mexicans don't cry. So what happened is the death of Richie Valens placed Bob in a position of not knowing who his next signing would be. He signs this gentleman, and um, I am through Bob. Given the opportunity to meet Gypsy Boots, who Bob wants to know if. Uh, Alex Chilton, who wants to record Nature Boy with Big Star, would like to meet him. And I'm introduced to a gentleman with Alex and with Bob, who they called Abu. And it wasn't until afterwards that I understood, oh, this they call him Abu. I thought it was just another religious figure or a member. And what was he like? The, um, what your expectation would be. Um, he was entertaining. If you've ever, for those who have never seen any footage of Gypsy Boots, take a look at Gypsy Boots' appearances. And this should tell you something. For all of the Christ-like um, intentions, these were, he was also, very playful. these were also playful showmen. So Gypsy Boots appeared with Groucho Marx on You Bet Your Life and also didn't variety of other talk shows later on where he really made himself look like a complete nut. Um, (laughs) It's a great segment. It's, it's, you know, but the point is that the Groucho Marx is nothing compared to the way Gypsy would come out with a 20 year old woman on other talk shows and try to lift up her top and 
pull his pants down and try to talk about uh, nuts as nutrition and knowing he's not really talking about the nut that you're supposed to eat. So <laughs> now, these, wait a second. So, oh, hold on. I want to get this straight. So what so I'm stating is You're he talking about a, boots, but you he, met Boots and Abby together? Yes. Okay. And what year was that? 1977 or 78. 77 or 78. So that was about 20 years before um, Abes died. So he was in his 60s. So he was in his 60s. Very, very playful, but there is the sense of showmanship. And you don't know what really occurred, what happened to him between 1948 and the success of that recording. But from what I could witness, he was, from what I understood, he lived in Sunland, which you say is close to you, where, where you live. Yeah. Um, he was still living outdoors. Um, one of his, he had a son who drowned, I believe, and his wife. Yes, his, his wife, he had a lot of tragedy. His wife yeah, died, of died of leukemia at the age of and 47. And his son was drowned. At the age of 22, I believe. Yeah. yeah, so he was pretty well a figure who was left to his own devices in this world, um, and really not much is known about those later years. He had money, but we are we are, 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 we presume that the royalties which he split with the valet who handed Nat King Cole the song, as well as with all of his fellow nature boys. Um, and girls, uh, this went very, very quickly. And the accounting yeah. of the royalties is difficult when you consider the hundreds of recordings of Nature Boy. Um, yeah, wow. It's an interesting, it's, it's interesting. He should have been one of the wealthiest songwriters to have lived, given... It shows you one song. You hit one song, and you could be set for life. And if you take care of your money... You can, yes. Now, the reason that he recorded one last, Nat King Cole recorded one last time while dying of cancer is because he needed some money to leave to his family. I don't believe any such concerns entered the mind of, uh, of our friend Eden. I, I just think that monetary issues were were out of uh, were out of his domain, so we'll never really know how much money that song has made for the people who created it. We can gauge how much it made for the artists, the other artists who recorded it, uh, for the artists who recorded it, and for the record companies, for the publishers. But we're not really sure how much money that uh, he actually saw. Which is fascinating, given that it's one of the most famous songs. I would have to say it's one of the top 100 most famous songs ever written. I would agree with that. And he could only do it once. Sam Cooke recorded Lonely Island, and it hit the charts, but nowhere near the success of this, because there was so much more attached to it. You have Nat King Cole, you've got the Hollywood sign, you've got someone living under that famed Hollywood sign, which already had other connotations to it. The history of some the songs, sign. Some songs just transcend, you know, the notes and the music and the lyrics and become sort of spiritual packages. Yeah, and how they become that way is through the... 
uh, development of a culture that gives us information, plays records on the radio, and tells us about the artists whose careers are being uh, translated through this music. But what are we really doing? You're talking about us. We're talking about, yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about us. So speaking about talking about us, I would be remiss, and I bring this up only for one reason, because prior to going on the air, and we'd be remiss to not complete this picture because there are some that believe that Nature Boy was autobiographical, that Mr. Abez was referencing himself. Bob Keane stated that he was told by Abez himself that Gypsy Boots, Bob Bootson, was the inspiration. But you informed me earlier that there is information that a gentleman by the name of Bill Pester was actually the inspiration. But the problem with Mr. Pester is that he has a history that many would like to forget, although he is credited or was credited in some circles with being the original hippie. You could say that Abez was the original hippie. You could say that Gypsy Boots was the original hippie. Bill Pester, by many, was proclaimed to be the original hippie until he was hit with 10 counts of uh, copulating with a minor. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good, um, concise uh, statement of the controversy. So I do not want to I do not want to cancel culture, Mr. Pester. Um, whatever his likes and dislikes were, and whatever his um, his his difficulties in the world were, there are many who translate his early life as being the precursor to the uh, flower power generation. Yeah, the research that I that I did led me to this information that uh, William Pester, an immigrant from Germany, predated Boots and Abes um, in the lifestyle. And he, this movement, Lebensreform and Nachermensch, were German, uh, of a German origin. And that he was known by those people as the first person of that ilk and uh, he was camped in Palm Springs area and people would come and visit him yes and so it was it was formulated that perhaps Abes was a disciple of of Pester although there is some information citing that they never actually even met well there you go that's the yeah. controversy and so that's the controversy. Uh, you know and so these are all from the mouth of the man who signed uh, Abez through the readings and research that we attempt to do, there are still these disconnects. Right. And if you say, if you say you were told by Abez himself that uh, it was written for Bob Bootson, then we have to go with that. I mean, that would be my, that would be my suggestion. But as the years go by, it's funny how people's stories do change and maybe Abez changed. Are you thinking that maybe Abez canceled 
tester it is quite because po- of his uh, it's quite possible because you know there were these concerns that these nomads were with very young disciples as we came to be concerned with during the Manson era. The same thing uh, existed I see, back I see. then. The same yeah, thing, I, that, that's yes, possible. Same that's thing possible. Existed. Rewriting history. Right. If Charles Manson had 12-year-old followers, it is pretty likely that these nature, uh, the nature boys, had very young female disciples as well. So maybe there were things that Mr. Abez did not want to be connected with, and there were certainly things given uh, the humor and at times outright misogyny of gypsy boots that leads us to believe, of course, it's a different time, it's a different age, but like Nat King Cole's association with the Freemasons, it was an organization that didn't allow women. So women were secondary in all the movements we're talking about now. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until they, certain women, blonde and buxom in stature, that Gypsy would bring on talk shows with him, gave him an extra edge in gaining some attention. So these are all complicated parts of the history. Well, Booth became a savvy uh, manipulator of the media. Oh, he well, yeah, I mean, kind of an early version. Uh, I think he learned a lot from Abby Hoffman. I think he learned a lot from the Yippies. I think he learned a lot from Wavy Gravy. I think he understood that he was a precursor to Woodstock, to this free-form uh, idea of living without possessions or the weight of a society that is asking you to be something that you are not. I think he definitively had those attitudes. How they exercised them to get attention and television time, that's a different thing. So yes, yeah. he knew what he was doing. Gypsy, when he went on Groucho Marx show, he knew. Yeah, absolutely. He, he knew who he. And those were those shows were scripted. They were scripted, the and he was going to. And although Groucho would dive into improvs, like he did in his own Yiddish theater days, those were carefully scripted and defined. So he knew exactly what he was getting into. Mm-hmm. So he knew he was going to be made fun of, and as the comments online for that clip that you say you first saw in the DVD collection, they just think he's a nut. They yeah. don't go back into the history of of Eden Abes, Gypsy Boots, Bill Pester, Bob Keen, Nat King Cole, Nature Boy Ric Flair, the Buddy Rogers, the original Nature Boy. The culture took those two words and used it in Athletics, show business, mythology, mysticism. It is the song that Mike Tyson made his entrance to in his one-man show directed by Spike Lee. Spike Lee said, this is the song you come out to, Nature Boy. It was featured in the film, featured in the film, The Boy with the Green Hair. A very, very popular film of its time. So it is in the culture. It is ingrained in the culture. 
from one end to the other. And uh, so let's uh, let's favor the audience. And now. always in a very entertaining manner, as wrestling was entertaining, as Boots was entertaining, as Abes for all of his spirituality, he was a showman. So we have to keep mm. all of this in mind when we're discussing what we're about to hear. The very spiritual, as you say, the voice, this almost like a, like Charlie Parker on an evening where he doesn't have an ounce of heroin in him and has found his place in peace in the world. Mr. Nat King Cole, Nature Boy. There was a boy A very strange enchanted boy They say he wandered very far, very far Over land and sea A little shy And sad of but very wise was he. And then one day, a magic day, he passed my way. And while we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Thank you very much for for making this a uh, a topic for this program. I'm so glad that it came to me. 
Yeah, because there are so many elements to it, and I had forgotten so much of it, and it wasn't until I'm looking, and, and my wife says to me, you've got, you've got his original CD, because she's the one that does all my categorizing and organizing. And I had forgotten completely, and it's got the, it's the 95 reissue, and I'm, th- I'm going back in my head about everything I know about Nature Boy and about Mr. Abez and about Gypsy Boots and my... Uh, interaction with Bob Keane and actually having been in the presence of the man they called Abu. Um, and not to mention uh, Alex Chilton, who we will possibly talk about another time because it brought to mind uh, it was Alex Chilton that introduced me to Jim Carroll. And I think those are two individuals who down the road stacked. It's Alex Chilton who introduced me to the box tops. To the box to the box tops. And it was Zacherly who introduced me to Alex Chilton. John Zacherly, the talk show host, as a teenager. So it's funny the uh, the life I have led, I'm going back in the my my interest in show business. And I was thinking about this last night as I'm going through all this, and I can't stop obsessing about all of these different encounters I've had. From the time I was a child on Wonderama with Sonny Fox, I have had these encounters. And Sonny Fox just passed. Sonny Fox died uh, this year, and he was a gentleman, and he gave me my very first paid television work. Wow. This is fact, not fiction. Paid television. Paid television work. What were you paid to do? I was paid to do sketches. My mother worked in for um, Ted Bates, an advertising agency, and um, they did work with Wonderama and other Joe Franklin, other New York programs, and. She would get me tickets to be on Howdy Doody, to be on any show where they had kids. Wonderama was a show where Sonny Fox interacted with the kids. He interacted with me about Telstar and wanted my opinion on Telstar, in which I got up and did a Jackie Gleason impression, citing my scientific knowledge of Telstar. Sonny was enamored with my with my outward demeanor now, do you have a clip of this those tape those were all erased oh, in those days I wish they, I could see that they used the video to you're not the only one um, I remember seeing them when they were aired I'd never had seen them again so the memory is only in my head from when it was televised if as I'm sure you know they used that videotape back in the day to reuse yeah. and reuse and reuse. They did not sure. archive those shows. <laughs> so after that, I was given two commercials, Tasty Cakes and Wonder Bread, and uh, three Child sketch- actor. Three sketches to do. So that was my original intent uh, going forward in life. Now, this uh, explains a lot. I thought you knew all that. I didn't know any of this. You knew none of that. And how could I not know, me being an actor? You and I lived together, and I never told you about my Wonderama days? Never told me that. Never. Then you missed my... This is the first 
I'm hearing it. Then you missed my tribute on Vox to Sonny Fox, and you missed my giant Facebook tribute to Sonny Fox. Yeah, I don't subscribe to Vox, so yeah, I have to. I have to. And you're uh, not on Facebook that. that much that much these days. What? You're not on Facebook that much these days. No. Because I told the entire story. <laughs> the entire story. So in any case, yes. That's fascinating. I wonder how many other things there are that we don't know about each other, Bill. Bill, how many times have you well, been that's arrested? That's good. It's good that we still have things to learn. <laughs> how many times have you been arrested? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Need to know and you to find out. Yes, yes. So we thank you so much. And, of course, at the end of the program, I will mention that you've been listening to Put on a Stack of 45s. We've become so comfortable with you that we don't even mention the name of the program anymore. We take it that you're going to see the link, you're going to see the program, you're going to click on it, and we don't have to identify ourselves. Um, but we are going into our 50th episode of Put on a Stack of 45s, and uh, the show where we do what we did today. We take a recording of Note. We hope it's uh, of importance to you. If it's not, maybe it's something that you will uh, be introduced to and take a liking or loving to, and we'll introduce you to the artist. So we're going on 50 of these episodes, put on a stack of 45, invented and developed as by Mr. Mesnick, as is his wonderful show, Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball, in which Bill sticks his hand into his 8-track collection. He goes into the magic treasure a chest of eight tracks and he picks one out and last week we had some great success with uh, a wonderful tribute to Elvis Presley uh, Bill it still it, I, it still makes me weep because you know my feelings about the of king, course. The king. Of course. And the next up is uh, Bob Dylan and the band the Bob basement tapes basement yes? tapes but this last one on Elvis is very short but beautiful record, His Hand in Mine, is available on uh, our Dig This Facebook page and on our own Dig This page, and so, and soon coming to other pages near you, and soon we're going to have a syndication deal that is going to allow us to be free and not have to do what others might do, which would be edit some of this shit. (laughs) Bill is the only one I allow to edit me. And my and my wife and my wife. All right. Yeah, I gotta be on. Okay. So we thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will return with another issue, another issue, because uh, this is kind of like a publication. Put on a stack of forty fives. I, I will end with this. Yes, my friend. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And that is possibly one of the one of the most genuine, authentic lines of any melodic composition that I can recall. It is a thing of beauty, and the way Nat King Cole sings it, as you just heard, there unforgettable. Is, it is it is truly unforgettable, and the way Miles Davis plays it, you hear the words in your head. And you feel that touch of God, whether you believe in God or not. There's something going on, as Van Morrison would would say. You look at the trees and you look at the sky and something's up. You look at the sky and something's up. I, I said that. <laughs> 
I still got it. You got it. Nez, you got it. I got it. And all our listeners, you get it too, whether you like it or not. We'll see you next time. Love you, babies. See you soon. Thank you. Stack a 45.